This time in the Magic Kitchen podcast, we're talking about offerings and we're taking the headache out of leaving them. I'm Leandra Witchwood. And I'm Elise Wells. And welcome to the Magic Kitchen podcast, where we talk about magic, kitchen witchcraft, herbs, and everything in between. about offerings, I think the issue around it, the biggest headache is overthinking the offering. Uh, There's so much literature out there for many deities, not all deities and, and spirits and that sort of thing about what you're supposed to leave. And this is something that can really get annoying. At least you you mentioned something about rose petals and Aphrodite and oh my gosh, I don't have rose petals, <laughs> so I can't leave an offering to her. And that's not true. There's other things you can do. And sometimes it's intuitive. Sometimes they will tell you what they want left. What's your experience with that? Oftentimes, we get caught up in worrying about offending the gods. I think the biggest right. question overall the root of many of the questions we get is coming from fear. And we've talked about this before, but that's a lot of what witchcraft is, is decolonizing our beliefs on spirituality. It's deprogramming a fear-based Abrahamic, mm. usually Christian <laughs> upbringing. That's yeah. that's the biggest, the biggest issue in Western paganism. Right. And right. offerings become this sticking point for a lot of people. They're afraid that if they leave the wrong thing or they don't leave something often enough or they don't leave enough of something or they don't leave it in the right place or on the right day or at the right time, that they will now be on the wrong side of a god. And then suddenly that's going to be the end and things are going to start going bad and you've you've brought bad luck on yourself <laughs> in this way. If that's you, that's a- you're not alone. Right. We get this a lot, like I said, and I think it's a common fear because of our programming. So we have to think about where this feeling comes from and, and peel that back. Your deities are your friends, right? They're, they're more than that, of course, right. but you wouldn't expect a, a friend to, you know, turn on a dime because you know they like chocolate chip, but they were all out, so you got them sugar. <laughs> you know, like... It's that kind of thing. That's how you have to approach deity work. Offerings at their core are just just a part of deity work. So don't overthink what you have to offer. If it's if it's something that means a lot to you, if it's something that you know has an affinity ha- has an association with them that this deity has an affinity for, or if you can find a connection or maybe it's almost like an inside joke like you know, maybe the first time you had a moment with Apollo was when you were um, at an ice cream parlor. So now you give him ice cream every time. Like, that's great. Right. That's really meaningful. You're not going to find that in a book. Mm-hmm. There's not going to be a book that says that the ancient Greeks used to give, you know, strawberry ice cream to Apollo, but that doesn't mean you can. <laughs> and I think that's it. Like, we want this outs- outside validation of a very personal right. relationship. Yeah. 
you know. And I really think that is a very patriarchal colonizer mindset that there's going to be this hell and damnation, this wrath yeah. if we don't get it exactly right. And that's not the truth of it. Um, you and I both have a mutual acquaintance who has Loki as a patron and he leaves them him plastic toys. You know, who, who would think of that? But that was an, a thing for them. You know, our um, the the one podcast I mentioned this in a previous episode, but you know, I was listening to a podcast where they're talking about Hecate and leaving her offerings, and immediately I had the presence of her in my head, and she asked me directly, "What would you leave me?" And I said, "Dark chocolate," and she said, "Okay, that'll do." And then she stayed for there was a few hours, like her presence was there, and I don't work with Hecate. I have like tiptoed around the perimeter of her and uh, or wandered the perimeter of her but never directly worked with her and that was what like my first like solid encounter with her when she was here and she asked me what I would leave her you know it wasn't like this well you better leave me the right thing or I'm gonna oust you you know (laughs) I'm gonna ostracize you (laughs) it was like you know I'm just curious like what would you leave me and she was like okay cool dark chocolate nice you know (laughs) yeah yeah, and that's the that's the kind of thing we close ourselves off from happening when we're so obsessed mm-hmm. and worried. And, you know, yeah. we color our own experiences when we bring something into into circle or into sacred space that could lead to a negative experience. You know, it's it's like yeah. you don't want to show up with the wrong energy when what you're trying to do is is you know, raise energy. Like magic is about is energy work. Yeah. So yeah. we have to bring the right energy to the offerings we're leaving. The Magic Kitchen Podcast is funded and supported by thewitchwoodteahouse.com, offering a variety of hand-blended loose leaf teas, as well as loose herbs for all of your ritual, spell work, wellness, and everyday enjoyment needs. If you would like to support this podcast while sipping a great cup of tea, head over to thewitchwoodteahouse.com and find the magic that's in store for you. So when it comes to who you need to leave offerings for, I think that really like some people don't have offerings based practices at all. Other people have practices that involve specific like cycles of leaving an offering. Like I've seen people, Mm -hmm. especially in the Hellenic pagan world who will leave an offering every night for a moon cycle, or they'll leave very specific offerings. They bake this one kind of cookie for Hera and, and that's fine. Yeah. Like you can absolutely go that way with it. Offerings can be a bigger or a smaller part of your personal practice as you see fit. But as a rule, I think that the who of who you need to leave offerings for is just the big guns, the ones that you're working with every day, the ones that you are connected yeah. with who are helping you. Think of it as like baking cookies for a friend because, you know, you appreciate having them in your life. That's really what you're doing with an offering. Just because it's a mm-hmm. holiday dedicated to a deity doesn't mean you have to leave an offering to that deity. You know, it might be right. your neighbor's friend, your your friend on Facebook's birthday. And yeah, maybe he's your neighbor or maybe he's your cousin's best friend's uncle or something and your friend's on Facebook and you see it's his birthday, but you don't go buy him a present and give it to him. 
right? <laughs> it's kind of the same thing with deity, <laughs> I think. Like you don't have to give an offering to every deity because it's the time according to some calendar. Right. It's only if you're in a relationship with them. Yeah. And yeah, and, and that's a good point because I don't leave offerings for every single <laughs> spirit or energy that I work with. Um Unless it's something that we agree upon or that I get a sense that it's important. I typically will leave offerings for my land spirits, especially because I live on this land. I'm always partaking of this land. So I will, you know, put out bird seed or that sort of thing. And and it's really going to be personal to the situation and to this energy you're working with. So if you were working with Zeus and he's expecting you to leave him something or Dionysus or whoever, whoever really, you know, who are you working with in your path? Like sit down with them and ask him like, Hey, what would you like? And how often? And yes, yeah. it's, it's a simple question. And it's intuitive and, and be silent and it'll shift. Yeah. Now the ancient Greeks left incense a lot of the time. That was, mm -hmm. that was the offering. And yeah, you can you can do that daily, you know. That's a lot easier than yeah. special yep. cookies that Hera likes, you know. So yeah. <laughs> so play around with it. Like if you're having a, a low spoons day, you know, you don't have a lot of energy to give, then that's a day for incense. Stick incense. Really keep it simple. Yeah, keep it keep it simple. Or light a candle. You know, that I that's probably the one I do the most often is I light a candle. Uh incense. Those are the two things I do the most. And those are, to, you know, depending on the mood, I have probably have about 50 different types of incense, plus the ones that I blend myself. And again, you don't have to do it yourself. You, you know, whatever your relationship is leaning towards, that's what you use. Yeah. But I'll open my drawer with all my incense in it. And I ask the question, what do you want today? What, what, what will be intriguing for today? And they'll tell me. Okay, we want cedar today. Oh, no, we want sandalwood or, you know, oh, we want one of your your cinnamon blends or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I often will leave whatever I'm having, like not not my leftovers, but like if I'm making a tea, <laughs> I will just make a yes. second cup and I'll give I'll give yes. that as an offering. I think another yeah. question that people might have is how many offerings do I put out? Do I put a cup for all the deities I work with? Do I have like you know, no. <laughs> a chock full dining table of, of feasting, you know, for, for, for folks. Right. I don't, I don't think so. No. For me, like I, I do offer a lot of incense. So for me, incense, you know, it's, that's for everybody to enjoy. But then I think yeah. if you have cookies, it's not a bad idea to have more than one on the plate. Um, Just kind of play this by ear. And when I do alcohol, yeah. there's this really awesome liqueur. Oh, that's another thing. I will say you do not have to offer alcohol to deities. A lot of people believe no. that that's the number one and only thing. Like even Dionysius, mm -hmm. don't give him alcohol if you don't want to. If you're in recovery, don't buy alcohol for a god. Like yeah. it's okay. There's no right. world. In fact, that's a total misnomer that Dionysius is like the get drunk god. He was actually the catharsis <laughs> god. He was the god who said, hey, you're yeah. going through a tough time. Let's work through it in joy. Yes. You know, rapture and bliss. Like yeah. a really different energy than than you get from like the front page of Wikipedia. So Definitely alcohol is not mandatory, but there is this one type that I can only find this one old man makes about 25 minutes from my house. I found it once and I, I go get it all the time and I use it for offerings. It's geranium liqueur. 
It's amazing. It smells great. It tastes great. Like, it's so luxurious. Mm. It's bright pink. Not in, like, a sickly, like, dyed way. It just is naturally bright pink. (laughs) It's really cool. (laughs) No, no. And it's not – there's no, like, red 40 in there. Like, this is just – this is literally a papu, an old man who just just makes it and he puts it in old, like, emptied water bottles. Like, it's hilarious. It's – Oh, funny. <laughs> but that's actually a pretty common Greek thing. Like, you could even buy wine that's made that way. But but anyway, so that's... an old water bottle. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's just an old water bottle. Like, it just says, you know, Zagori or Avra, like the two brands that are big here. Nice. No labeling. <laughs> this, it sells it. itself, this stuff. <laughs> it really, really. <laughs> but, like, I don't know. I find that so special, too. Like, it's made by an old Greek man. Who makes mm-hmm. it from the geranium that grows on his land? Like it's nice. just, it's nice. I love that about it. So that's an offering. Again. And I, I think, and that's not on in a book. I think that's the key right there. Is that like it has to be meaningful, not just something you slap together or oh shit, I forgot. So here, here's my scrap of you know my dinner or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it has this, to be meaningful. This apple's going bad. I'll toss it over to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I can't think of too many deities that would appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> Another way to approach offerings is to remember where the concept of them comes from, which is sacrifice. So mm-hmm. Norse paganism, for one example, heathenry is rooted in animal sacrifice. Like that's where that's that's yeah. a big, big practice from that region. Why? Well, if you study the ge- the geography and geology of that land you could not farm or grow anything all yep. winter long. So your animals yep. were it. Anything you dried exactly. and prepared in the, the summer and spring, which is only depending where you live in like Greenland, it's like six to eight weeks. Like you might've had like no right. time really to prepare food for the entire rest of your year. So if you at Yule sacrifice a goat to Thor, mm-hmm. you're literally sacrificing a lot, like more than you or I in today's world can understand, can rationalize. So that was a massive offering. That was a huge leap of faith. Like I'm giving you the sustenance I have so that you can protect and provide for my family. That's how much trust I have in Thor as a deity that I'm going to sacrifice our food source for the next year, part of our food source for the next year. Well, and we also have to remember that meat, animal products was looked at very differently than we do today. Like we have that very patriarchal vegan uh, like image of animal sacrifice and that sort of thing because Christianity has spent a lot of time demonizing animal sacrifice. Like don't think of it as you're killing an animal, you're just letting it bleed out and the animal's not being used in any way. It's a very sacred act where um, especially uh, even in the Celtic um, traditions, um, pork, pigs are very sacred. So not only was it a sacrifice to the deity, um, you know, say uh, Bridget. So Bridget and, and swines are very sacred to one another. I had someone ask me recently, you know, is it wrong? Like, it doesn't make sense to eat the pork in um, honor of Bridget. I'm like, no, it actually does make perfect sense because the way our ancestors looked at this was very different. 
And well, so like goat sacrifices in many African traditions, that meat is consumed by the family. It is not laid, laid to waste. The same with the Celtic traditions from way, way back. It was sacred to that deity and the family still partook in it because you don't waste anything. And not that a sacrifice would be waste, but it is the killing and the, the bleeding of the animal is done in honor of. Yeah. And then part of that meal is given to the deity. And like I said, we, we look at things very differently today in a very vegan, patriarchal, colonistic mindset when it comes to meat and animals, where, you know, we think sacrifice means you have to completely remove it from your presence and you don't touch it. That wasn't true for our ancestors because meat was so sacred, because they had to consume it to survive. They wouldn't just leave it on the altar and let it rot because we have to think about it in a different way because the the sacrifice is energetic for deity. They're not literally coming down, manifesting physically and eating the food <laughs> or eating the animal. It's an energetic aspect. It is a symbolic aspect. And when you, as a practitioner, are taking that meat and you're, you know, preparing it, um, if you if you live on a farm and you uh, process your own meat, and and um, instead of sending it to a slaughterhouse or buying your your meat from a local butcher or whatever, if you're the one actually processing the meat, then you pr- you kill that animal in the name of that deity, and energetically, that's what you're giving. You're giving that animal's life and in honor of your continued sustenance and in honor of that deity. And it's an energetic exchange. And it, you know, maybe you go without a few bites of that meat that is put on a plate or an altar, but not the whole entire animal. The animal is still used for the family, for your, for your livelihood. It's, it's not this complete removal from your existence, from your use. It's interesting the way you tied that to patriarchal culture because that instantly reminded me of Lent. How in the mm -hmm. States, now this, it is very Mm -hmm. much just the States thing. (laughs) You were supposed to give up something, (laughs) one thing. It's going to be soda. It's going to be chocolate. It's going to be TV, right? And for 40 days, you're supposed to sacrifice your enjoyment of that thing in the honor of, of, I guess, preparing for Jesus to be killed on the cross, right? (laughs) So that's Lent. Okay. So, but what's interesting to me about, about that is you're right. That's maybe that's partly where this, this, this vegan mentality makes sense Mm -hmm. to people because they're coming from that same mindset of, I should go without it because I respect the earth. You know, that right. that's interesting. I've never tied that together as like the same kind of thought basis. Right. There's a, there's a lot of things that we do unconsciously that have just been droned into our existence. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and it's like a, a foundational. Exactly. It's a foundational acceptance mm-hmm. of sacrifice mm-hmm. means going without instead of yeah. sacrifice means taking the time to appreciate and appreciate and yep. offer i love i never realized how much i loved the word offerings like offering and, and all, reference i mean it's, it's all reference. about the reverence yeah, exactly yes well and it's interesting too yeah. because in greek orthodoxy what lent is and in coptic christianity because my grandparents are actually coptic on my dad's side 
and mm. also okay. in Catholicism, but not American Catholicism. But if you go to Rome, this is how they're doing <laughs> it. You okay. for 40 days, you don't eat meat and you don't eat dairy products. So you do eat vegan, essentially. Some people do eat eggs, essentially. which is a bit confusing. But anyway, and fish, which I always thought was weird. But well, no, <laughs> in Greek Orthodoxy, no. And in Coptic Christianity, no. no okay. And in Rome, no. Like the just fish is not. Okay. Yeah, it's just an American thing. Um, but they, they will basically abstain from those things. But what my grandmother, I was talking to my grandmother about this because she's funny, like throughout the year, Coptics have random fasting days and sometimes she's really observant. Other times I bring a cake and it does definitely have milk in it, but she's okay with eating it because she has like, she, she can like rationalize it. Like it's really cute. Um, (laughs) but she's very strict in Lent usually. And the way she goes Mm. about it in her mind, she was telling me, she said, this is the time of growing things. So when we as Coptics take a break, now Coptic Christianity is the first Christianity. It's really freaking old. Their language that they do their worship in and that they read their Bible in and the books in their Bible, all of it are like proto-biblical. Like it's like the one that Peter, Paul and all them did. The Greeks do as well, but they do it in Greek. The language that Peter, Paul, et cetera, these guys spoke the Coptics use that original language still. It's pretty wild. Wow. So she that said that the basis for fasting, the reason that you abstain from things is because it's springtime. And the goal of this mm-hmm. time is to give nature time to rebirth. So you don't that eat any sense. animals on purpose. It's not because you're, you're sacrificing them. It's because you're offering animals a chance to rejuvenate. That makes sense. Makes perfect sense. And greens are in pl- in are plentiful so yep. the idea is that plentiful. You, know, you switch to that yeah. so it comes that, from a place of harmony sense. with nature yeah yeah i like that and then it's, it's see how interesting over the centuries and through the different styles it's kind of gotten uh manipulated yeah and became a tool of control for people mm-hmm. and, and shame and guilt and so it, to to turn that one on its head so our Ancient ancestors, pre-Christian, when they partook in a particular animal, I'm going to go back to the swine because that's what I'm familiar with with in Celtic um, practices, is when you consumed an animal that is sacred to a deity like Brigid, you took within yourself the properties of that deity and the animal that is associated. So swines were believed and swine herders were believed to be especially sacred because they could cross the veil. They could cross into the other world and commune with deity, commune with spirits, the fae, blah, blah, blah. And so they were sacred. The animals were sacred. So when you partook in that animal, you know, aside from the sacrifice, but that sacred act of sacrifice, sacrificing the animals and then using it in your sustenance to survive, you were also taking in as a spiritual act of becoming one with that animal and making that animal one with you. So this is where it became a very sacred act to sacrifice, leave that offering, but also partake in the spiritual aspects of that animal and how it functioned for the deity and the individual. And it's interesting that Coptics, being the first Christians, so most people mm-hmm. that would have been the first Coptics, all people really, would have been pagan first. They grew yeah, yeah. to accept Christianity. Yep. And as we know, yes. same in Ireland, anyone who was evangelized, they just kind of added mm-hmm. Jesus to the list. They didn't really neglect yeah. <laughs> what they were doing before. So I think that is right. really fascinating how 
how it just flows into it. And we can see the, the degradation of honestly, like of that, of that relationship to nature that is at the basis of yes. sacrifice now turned to offerings. Are you ready to start living a magical life? Join me in my Patreon community where I'm sharing rituals for every Sabbath and full moon, weekly journal prompts, and new on the new moon articles highlighting new practices from around the world. Joining a community can be the thing you need to keep your practice active and engaging. For more information, visit patreon.com slash Elise Wells or follow the community link on seekingnumina.com. How and where to leave your offerings is going to be a personal uh, experience because it's going to, again, you're, you're going to commune with your energy, your deity, uh, your ancestors, whoever you're leaving the offering for, you're going to ask them, how do you want this left? Where do you want it left? For, in, for my practice, it's typically at my altar, but I have altars also outside. So I tend to have more than one altar around my house. <laughs> You know, my kitchen, my meditation room, my, you know, uh, here in where we're recording, I have one behind me, but I also have one outside. So depending on who I'm working with, what I'm doing, and what I have, um, I will either leave it at my altar or outside in the altar, indoors, outdoors, doesn't matter, just whoever I'm working with. Like recently, so this one, I, a friend of mine just turned me on to this, but um, I, I like bacon. <laughs> I won't lie. <laughs> and so that leaves me with bacon grease, right? So I use, instead of sticking my bacon grease in a container, putting it in the fridge for later, I have been mixing it with bird seed and making my own suet bricks or pellets, whatever. And so that has been my springtime offering for our land spirits, for the birds, the messengers that come and, and you know, give me insights to things. So like right now outside my window here, I have a little container with the suet and peanuts and bird seed and that sort of thing. Nice. That's nice. Yeah, for me, so my the main people I usually leave offerings for are my deities and when uh and and land spirits. And for my deities, I leave offerings whenever I can. Like incense is, is an often thing. But I don't usually, you know, like I said, I have my geranium liqueur that I like to offer. That's usually like a full moon thing yeah. or or if something's going really well, like if we've been working on something and I'm feeling the results of that, I'll just spontaneously just yeah. come over and just leave them a little something. So that's nice. that's how I kind of motivate my my offerings. You know, it's it's like when you get those surges <laughs> of appreciation for somebody and you just send them a little text. You're like, thanks for being there. You know, you're a great friend. I do that you know, with, with some incense or some liqueur or, or a pomegranate, you know, this time of year, we're, we're recording this in the spring. It's a really, like, I'm thinking a lot of Persephone and so pomegranates feel mm. right. So I, I don't know, that's, that's, that's intuitive, but I do like to leave them kind of randomly, but, but as a rule, it's going to be full moons, new moons. Anytime I'm doing a ritual, I try to incorporate an offering to whoever is, is working through that ritual with me, deity-wise. Mm -hmm. um, but I also, I, I 
have a bit of a cat rescue here in Greece. My mom has the cat rescue, <laughs> but I am then roped into the cat rescue as said daughter. So <laughs> I often am leaving a lot of offerings for the cats. We have 27 cats, 27 Whoa! in our outdoor Hi. like neighborhood here. And wow. we live in a town that's mostly a summer homes kind of place. So most of the year, it's just us and two neighbors. And the rest of the houses around us are empty. So a lot of the cats are, you know, kind of like they get to know people over the summer or maybe they're born in the summer and then they never know what it's like the rest of the year. So they they end up flocking towards our house. And so I always consider it an offering when I'm going out and about and checking on everybody. You know, we also check them for injuries, see if they need to go to the vet. We check if they have fleas, if they need, you know, they're all dewormed and defleed often. But, you know, so (laughs) I, I think of that care of. You know, these these, yeah. these cats are our land spirits. Like when I'm caring for yeah. these guys, like that's how I see that. I see that as an offering of my time. Mm-hmm. And, and then that, I think that's a good point is, is offerings don't always have to be food or alcohol beverage related. They're your time, their attention, they're um, even just sparing a moment of the day to stop and honor yourself is also a great offering to those you work with because in my experience, this is, and maybe you've gotten something totally different happening, but in my experience, my patrons, my land spirits, the the energies I work with, they want to see me do better. They want to see me be a better person. So if I am not taking that time to, whoa, reflect, where's my brain going right now? What, where, what, downward spiral is my thought patterns you know going right now if i'm not taking time to stop and reflect that could be meditation that could be journaling that could be just taking a walk and recognizing the weird obsessive thoughts that can pop in my head and and be honest we all have these weird thoughts where we're like oh i have to buy the thing but why do i need to buy the thing i don't need to buy the thing do i need to buy a thing i want to buy the thing you know (laughs) these weird (laughs) thoughts you know but if we are not taking time to slow down and just recognize the energy recognize our thoughts recognize what's around us i think that is a disservice to the relationship that we're trying to develop and part of what is relationship building right it's it's giving of yourself but also receiving so if we're not taking time to give and receive then we're not going anywhere with that relationship and sacrificing our time and again let's reframe our look at sacrifice as energy exchange instead of absolutely abstaining and being going without another important part of offerings is how to discard them so if what you have is animal and nature friendly discarding it Mm -hmm. out in nature you know if this is a cookie or some fruit you know, that's a great idea to just go give it to nature. If you know you have some birds that would eat that yeah. or or maybe you want to bury yeah. it. Um, things like like chocolate or what are those other? There's some things that are toxic to dogs that I'm thinking of. Yeah. I, I've never chocolate, had a dog, so I'm not. Chocolate antifreeze. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> those are the only things I can think of right now. <laughs> Is it grapes? I think it's maybe grapes. <sighs> There's like a weird remember. thing I, that they're alert that's like deadly. 
I don't know. It's not good for them yet. Yeah. I, just look at, look it up. If you're using something regularly as an offering. Also, some liquids, don't put it in your house plan if you're using a lot of alcohol because you'll kill it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, you don't want to kill it. Or just, well, the same thing. Like if you're going to start using your bacon grease to make your own birdseed suets, like be careful because if it if it's a hot day and that melts, <laughs> it, you can kill your plants. You know? Ooh, yeah. <laughs> really oily grass or ew. <laughs> make a dog really happy. oh yeah well then that's a good point because when we leave things out uh, it won't hurt the dog necessarily but it could give them some digestive issues if they were to get a hold of that and eat it because they will Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so keep keep an eye on that but i would say as a rule if you're able to if it's safe to it's always good to discard in nature and maybe that's part of your thought process with your offerings is okay well i know i'm going to offer this to my neighborhood cats or deer or something. So maybe your offerings are more focused on that. Like you intuitively choose things that are better for nature. That's fine. I, I've never met a deity who's not cool with nature because they are nature. Nature, right. They are. And so are we, and we should recognize that. (laughs) Yeah. It builds our connection. I think when we, we give of ourselves and of our, of what we have to share to nature in that way. I think that's, I've never met a deity that doesn't want that. Join me June 3rd for my next workshop, Connecting with Land Spirits and Spirit of Place. Learn how to connect to your local land spirits, the different types of spirits of place, and why this relationship will improve your spiritual practice. This event will be recorded if you can't attend live. And if you're listening to this after June 3rd, 2023, message me for the recording. So I'm not sure how much more we can really talk about the subject because it's Simple once you stop overthinking it. So I think that's the biggest takeaway here is don't overthink it. Be thoughtful, be intentional, but don't overthink it. Don't think that you have to do these grand gestures every single time. Sit down, get quiet, and learn what your patrons, what the energies around you, what the energies you're working with want to see from you. And I think I I will add this one thing. When you're entering a relationship with any kind of spirit, and we talked about this in a previous episode, but whenever you're entering a relationship with a with a deity, with a presence, with even demons, if what they're asking of you is too taxing, then you have to examine that relationship. So offerings should not be this thing where you have to rush home every day at four o'clock and do the thing. You don't have to. You really don't. Um, and look at where every those- energy I've ever worked. I would say look at where those like pressures are actually being imposed from. Yeah. Is it the deity right. or is it you? You. Yeah. Trying to. Yeah. I, I see that a lot. They're like, I promised Hades I would leave right. him wine every night for a month. And I skipped last night. What happens? Well, did he demand right. that? Did you, you know, win the well, lottery in exchange yeah. for that? Or <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think, <laughs> I think most of the time, if not every time, the deity is just not going to take it that i mean they're immortal beings they're not going to be that bummed if yeah you know if it's yeah. constant and One it's like it is missed big, out of a million <laughs> yeah like if it's a constant problem and you're like only giving them rotten fruit and you neglect them and you yeah. ask for more than you That's give a different, yeah yeah but if it yeah i do not think as a rule a relationship with a deity should ever feel taxing i agree no. yeah it's it's not 
I really don't think they care that much. Yeah. They won't <laughs> impose that, I can tell you, because they don't got the time. Yeah. Well, they have the time because they're immortal, Absolutely. but they, they're not going to waste their energy there. <laughs> I think it's too insignificant. You know, oh, 30 days, you miss one day. But think about how many 30-day cycles they've been through. It's when you really develop your relationship with deity, with energy, with universal energy, you start to realize that the, the things that we impose upon ourselves are really trivial. They don't matter. Yeah. And it's, it's again, I think it goes back to that that patriarchal, linear, colonizer mindset where you have to, this is this, that is that. It's black or it's white. It's dichotomous. Nothing is ever gray. Nothing is ever flexible. But really, witchcraft and worshiping the old gods, it, they are incredibly flexible. Mm-hmm. I, I have never known, and I've worked with some serious, serious ones that are freaking scary, but they have never terrified me. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like they're not, they're not, they're not these doom and gloom imposing beings. And I'm not to say that there's not some out there, but if, if that's something that you're looking to enter a relationship with, then that's a choice that you make. And then there you go. You, you've made your choice and you, you've made your bargain. You made your uh, deal or your contract. And, but I think for most, most encounters are not like that. Yeah. And remember too, to when you're picking your offerings, when you're thinking about when to leave them, all of the questions that we've posed to you today, it's always about your intuition and the relationship with who you're leaving them for. So maybe your land spirits are just really into song. I mean, I truly, there's Mm, a place in Baltimore that Mm. I used to go and it was, it was where a water treatment plant was it was a it was a crossroads of rivers. It was where one side went to a water treatment plant, the other side, I think what and I'm not great at geography, but it joined up with that river Potomac. Yeah, Potomac River. Probably. Yeah. So it was this yeah. great union of like, you know, the imp- imposition of man on one side with the water treatment plant yeah. and on the other side, pure, pure na- nature. It was very idyllic over there. Like, I mean, you, you could stand in the middle and like look at one and look at the other and feel a different energy. It was interesting. It was really powerful. And I actually, they when you, you went at the right time of day and the right time of year, you could walk across some rocks and sit in the middle of this. And there was a bit of a waterfall. Wow. that was It was loud enough that I could sit on this rock and sing to the water spirits there. And no one else would hear me. I hope. I don't think wow. so. I actually went back with my husband to check. I was like, can you, you know of? <laughs> yeah. Like I literally took my husband there for a picnic once and was like, can you just, I'm going to, I'm going to go out there and sing real quick. And I want you to tell me if you can hear me over there. Cause I really did not want people to hear me. Like I'm here for the spirits. Yeah. We got a really spirits, nice uh, yeah. email from somebody about our connecting with spirit guides locally episode. And she said, I'm not great with bonding with people, but I'm really good at bonding with land spirits. And yeah. I was like, I relate. <laughs> hard (laughs) yep same here (laughs) but anyway so you know i never once left these guys cookies or or incense or wine or soda or anything it was always just my song and i it was so beautiful so harmonious i just felt so nourished when i was there like they were it was a giving and receiving relationship because i felt so healed to be in their presence and i like to think they didn't hate my songs Mm -hmm. so well and how wonderful do they, you think it is for them to be acknowledged? Yeah, exactly. 
99% of witchcraft is acknowledgement. I need to put this on t-shirts. Yes! Like it's You do. That's you do. It. It's We're making t-shirts. Yeah. I, <laughs> oh, I really yeah, honestly. If that I want it. I want it on my own t-shirt. <laughs> okay. <laughs> if nobody else does that's fine. I just think it's good advice. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Mary meet, Mary part, and, and Mary meet, meet again. again. Thank you for joining us on the Magic Kitchen podcast. Please visit my website, leandrawitchwood.com, for news, information, and more episodes. I'm Elise Wells, and I can be found at Seeking Numina on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook, and seekingnumina.com. That's seeking, N-U-M-I-N-A. N-U-M-I-N-A.